We are starting a new sermon series today. I'm going to spend the next five weeks with an emphasis on evangelism. And the reason for that is we are about to step into a promised land of a new church three weeks from today. And so as we move into that church, we move into that church, I believe that there will be many new people who will be drawn there. And so I want you to be prepared to speak about Jesus. I want you to know what it takes to go out into a lost world and talk to people that have a desperate need to hear about Christ. And that's what this is going to be about, evangelism in the 21st century, how to speak in a vocabulary, how to have the right burden of heart to reach out to these lost people, because this is precisely what Christ wants you to do. Jesus gave us the Great Commission in Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. Uh, and it was not a wish. It was not a good thought. It was a commandment. You are commanded to go out and make disciples. Share with me as I read this. Matthew 28, verse 16, it's on the board. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain, where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they had worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. Surely I am with you always to the end of the age. That's something to remember, uh, church, even as we've had in some ways an unsettling week. I will be with you to the end of the age. Uh, and so Jesus could not have been clearer. This was not a request. This was an actual commandment. So many of us attend church on a regular basis, and yet no one, in many cases, we have never spoken to anyone about Jesus Christ. Uh, and we must recognize now that we're in the 21st century. Uh, people have a different cultural perspective. They have a different vocabulary. And God wants you to reach out to them. That's your responsibility as a Christian. This is the context of what I hope to do for you in the next coming weeks. Give you the ability to reach out to the lost. Uh, and so I want you to have the proper vocabulary to do that and to have the proper mindset to do that. Now, does the idea of speaking to a total stranger about Christ cause you to get nervous? And without you telling me, I know that the answer to that is yes. I know that for many of you. Have you ever had a difficult question posed to you about your faith that you had no answer you weren't prepared to answer. And so if so, this series that I'm going to be doing for five weeks is for you. God has called you to evangelize in a clear language. I believe that he wants us to address all non-believers and he wants all believers to do this, every single one of us. And he will judge us when we get to heaven. He will talk to us about this, about whether we failed or whether we lived up to this commandment. Look at Proverbs 11, verse 
30. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and the one who is wise saves lives. How about that? That's the call of the righteous people. You are meant to be a messenger. You don't save, you bring the message. God saves. And so God, you see, wants you to win souls. A recent survey, which is very sad, indicates a sad commentary in today's world. And that is that nine out of 10 American adults cannot accurately define what is the Great Commission. They cannot do it, nine out of 10. Uh, Further, seven out of 10 adults have no idea what John 3.16 means, which is pretty amazing since you see it in almost every football game being held up, but they still don't know it. All right, seven out of 10. Uh, Further, barely one-third in the survey that was done know the meaning of the expression, the gospel. That's shameful. The gospel? You don't know the meaning of the term gospel? Moreover, 95% of Christians have never led another person to Christ. 95% of Christians have never led another person to Christ. Well, that's not what it's going to be in our church, as I expect every one of you to be equipped and to be able to go out and speak about Christ. So here's the problem. We live in a post-modern world. We live in a post-Christian world. That became very obvious this past week. You can see it, where the populace has divorced themselves of Christian principles. And so some people feel that it is impossible to present absolute truth. You know, the world doesn't want absolute truth. It wants relativism. It likes gray. It doesn't like black and white. Well, I'm sorry to tell you, but the Bible is written in black and white. You understand? Jesus spoke in black and white. It was either yes or it was no. And if it wasn't yes, then the answer was no. Uh, And so we need to be aware of that. We are called by God to bring the full truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost generation. That's your call. That's what we're supposed to do. You need to be ready to do it. The question is, do you have a heart for the lost? Do you really have a burden for the lost? Or do you really not care? Because maybe they don't speak like you or they don't talk like you and you're not that comfortable maybe around them. But it doesn't matter to God. He's called you to deliver the message of hope. We need to understand that we live in a lost world. This world is condemned. These people are dead men and women walking. You have the responsibility to give them the life preserver to let them know how their lives can be transformed. Look at what God told the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 44, verse 11. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. The word of God does not come back empty. If you give the word of God and you are praying that God uses you, 
The word of God will not come back empty. It will ignite the hearts of those who are prepared to receive it. And so as always, the Apostle Paul really gave us great insights into evangelism. He was the greatest evangelist that ever lived. And we see this in Acts chapter 17, which we've already studied and talked about, but I'll allude to it again today. That's at Mars Hill. And instead, there as he walked in Athens, his heart was burdened. He walked and saw a lost generation of Athenians worshiping pagan gods, 50,000 statues of pagans all through that city, and not one person worshiping the holy God uh, of Israel, none. And so the first rule, the first principle for evangelism is this. In effective evangelism, it always starts with your heart. Are you burdened? Do you have a heart for the lost? That's where this all begins. Do you feel the love of God in your heart compelling you to reach out to people that don't know Christ? Because if you don't, then you're failing God in a poignant way. Look at Acts 17, verse 16. That speaks to that very issue. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. Notice, he didn't just confine himself to the synagogue. He went to the marketplace, to the marketplace. And I would ask you this, have you been to the marketplace and have you been able to see someone that you might engage in a conversation? I told you that two weeks ago I was in Chicago on an elevator and I spoke to them about Jesus. Never saw them before. Hopefully I'll see them again. But whatever it was, I spoke to them about Jesus. That's what you have to do. I pray when I get on a plane that God always puts somebody next to me that needs to hear the gospel. And more often than not, I speak to them about Jesus. That's what this is about. Yes, I understand. It makes you a little bit uncomfortable, but better that you be a little bit uncomfortable here than when you get to the other side and you stand in front of Jesus and now you're very uncomfortable. When he asks you, what did, he, what did you do with my commandments? And so one of the reasons, you see, we don't effectively reach out to our culture uh, is because we are woefully, woefully out of touch living in our own Christian subculture. Let me reiterate what I just said. The reason why many of us don't reach out is we're stuck in a cube in which all we do is see each other. That's good, that's affirming, that's loving. But God expects you to break out of that cube. God expects you to reach out to people that you're not that comfortable with, to look for opportunities to speak to people like that. Do, 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 when people come to your house to work in your house, do you ever talk to them about Jesus? You ever give them a card? Why don't you come to my church? You know, that's the easiest way to break the ice. I'd like to invite you to my church. Come and see my church where you can hear the word of God or you can hear beautiful music. That's how God wants you to do it. That's people that are not in your normal bailiwick. And that's what God wants you to do. Uh, and so we really have to begin to have a heart for the lost, the recognition that this is what God wants from us. Principle number two, 
effective evangelists need to know their audience. You need to know your audience. And Jesus modeled this for you. You wouldn't speak the same way to one person who is at a certain place in life as distinguished from another person in a different place of life. Look what Jesus did in three examples. Look at him when he called Zacchaeus out of the tree. Here he was, this tax collector who had stolen from people. He calls him out of the tree and he says, I'm coming to your house today. I'm coming to your house today an expression of love, and immediately Zacchaeus responds because that's how God planned it. And, and, then, and he responds to Jesus. Look at how, how Jesus spoke to the Samaritan woman at the well. One of the greatest stories in the Bible because you see women were at the bottom of the food chain in Judaism, and Samaritans were below the food chain, all right? And so here is this woman who would come out only at noon because she had had multiple relationships with men. She had been despised and reviled by the town. And there she is, and there Jesus Christ, God himself, comes and speaks to her in a loving way. And he spoke to her in a way very differently than he would have to Zacchaeus. And he spoke to her, but he spoke the truth, you see. He spoke the truth. Uh, as he talked about the water of life and eternal life, and you see it that way. Uh, and yet, look at how Jesus spoke differently to Nicodemus. There, Jesus allows a meeting to go on at midnight. Midnight, can you imagine? Jesus meeting at midnight, because he had a burden for the lost. And so here is one of the chief rabbis in Israel coming to Jesus at midnight because he didn't want to be seen by other Jews. And yet Jesus spoke to him and said, you need to be born again. You need to be born again the first time you'll find that expression in the Bible. And so this is how you need to model your speech dependent on who you are speaking to. And the best thing that you can do is understand this. The best way to share the gospel is to listen. I know that sounds funny, but it's the truth to listen, to ask people, how is your spiritual life? And then let them talk. You'd be surprised when you say, how is your spiritual life? How many people will begin to talk to you about that? And listen to them and have a heart for them and love them and care for them. Uh, and, and so you can also say, tell me about yourself. I'm interested in you. Tell me about yourself. And they will tell you about yourself. One of the things I've noticed is that when uh, people come to church and they'll want to have dinner with my wife and me uh, and uh, we will go out, typically 90% of the conversation is about them. All right? That's not unusual, you see. People want to. They want to talk about themselves. Well, listen, because listening is how we eventually spread the gospel. Principle number three. Effective evangelism must be culturally relevant. This is important. Culturally relevant. Paul did that in Mars Hill when he talked about their own prophets, when he talked about their religiosity, when he talked about what he had seen. He, he showed that he was in touch with their culture. You need to let them know you're in touch with your culture. Too often, we are out of touch with our audience. We're out of touch. We don't speak the same language. Uh, and unfortunately, this can be a downside of being in a Christian subculture. What do I mean by this? Well, 
Phrases such as, are you washed in the blood? Are you sanctified? Are you a part of the body? Now, for us, we understand every single one of those words. But imagine someone who's not a Christian, and you're talking like that. They're going to think you have a third eye in your forehead. And they couldn't possibly wait to be away from you. You're not making them comfortable. You're not getting into their culture. You're not communicating with them. This is all about understanding communication. A non-Christian would have no idea, you see, no idea what those phrases mean. And Jesus, again, our Lord and Savior, made a poignant comment on this very issue as well. He did this in Luke 16, verse 8. It was an amazing uh, story. And there you'll read it. The master commanded, commended rather, the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. How about that? Jesus used that story and commended. You know, that's a very difficult parable for many people because it seems as though Jesus is using uh, this paradigm of this dishonest manager uh, and extolling his ethics. No, Jesus was using that paradigm to show what people in the darkness do to advance their own position while we in the light stand there with our hands in our pockets. You understand? That's what this is about. Jesus lighting a fire under us. And so this problem lies in the often out-of-touch way we present the message of God. We're out of touch, and we're going to speak to being more in touch. Paul's message aroused the interest of his listeners. If you look at Acts 17, verse 22, it says there that Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. What an amazing way to connect. Yes, you think you're worshiping God, but you don't know God. You don't know who God is. And that's what our responsibility is. Effectively, he approached it in a diplomatic way. He didn't say, you are pagan losers. You're going to hell, and you deserve it. He didn't say that. He said, you're religious. You're religious, but you don't even know who you're worshiping, and you're not worshiping right. He sought to build a bridge to people that desperately needed it. Uh, he spoke about that issue in Corinthians as well. And it's a, this magnificent uh, scripture where he talked exactly how he spread the gospel. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19. You'll see it on the screen. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews... I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. So as to win those under the law, to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I am not free from God's law, 
but I am under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak. To win the weak, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessing. And the church said, Amen, Lord. Can you imagine this great evangelist who would go on to write more than half of the New Testament would do that in his love for the lost. He would go out and do that. Uh, he would try to make himself like all the people that he sought so that people would understand he would have a cultural connection. That's what I want you to do. I want you to have a, a cultural connection. Jesus did this very same thing, you see, with the Samaritan woman at the well. He could have said to her, you are an immoral woman. You have been with seven different men. There. Don't tell me that you're with your husband. He's not your husband. Uh, and, but instead, he had this dialogue, this elevated dialogue in which he lifted her up. Uh, he, Jesus appealed to the very emptiness in her heart that fed the immorality, you see. There is an explosive power, explosive power in the gospel. Think about people who are walking along in sin and burdened by guilt and shame, and suddenly you're giving them the eraser. Can you even reflect on what that means? To walk away knowing that God has forgiven them in every way and that they can have a new life in eternity? And so principle number four, you see, in effective evangelism is that it must be biblical. It must be biblical. Don't be dispersing your own personal philosophy. It must be biblical. Paul's message was biblical in every way. He built it on the word of God. Uh, and, and God said that his word would never return empty. And so principle number five is effective evangelism must focus on Jesus crucified and risen. And you saw Paul did that uh, at the Areopagus. Jesus crucified and risen. Look, there's only one man in the history of the world who was crucified, buried for three days, and then walked out of the tomb in the presence of 500 eyewitnesses. Nobody else has a story like that. No other religion has a story like that. And you have to believe that as you convey that very message to the lost. That's what you have to do. Uh, and so here's the thing I want to say to you. Uh, and this is an important maxim, and that is remorse is being sorry while repentance is being sorry enough to stop. You understand the difference? There's human remorse. Oh, I cry. I've done things I shouldn't have done. Oh, I've led a, a bad life. But you see, repentance is sorrow combined with an um, opinion to stop it and to change your perspective. And we have to remember that. That's important. Principle number six, effective evangelism presents the entire gospel. The entire gospel. Look at Acts 17, verse 30 to 31. In the past, Paul said, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. 
For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. You have a responsibility to tell the lost that a day of judgment is coming. All right? Here's the thing. God is love. And you see the emphasis so many ways on television or at football games. Uh, God is love. But here's the thing. God is love, but God is just. You understand? There's justice. There's holiness. And so just as you prepare the gospel, just as you bring to a lost world the message that I'm conveying, they have to understand that there will be a day of judgment for every single one of them and for the entire world. When God comes back and Jesus will come back, that's his promise, he will come back as the Lion of Judah. You understand? He's not coming back as the baby in Bethlehem. He's coming back on a white horse. And we're all going to be behind him on that day. And he will convey justice as he opens his mouth. And a sword will come out. And every evil doer in the world will be slain. This is a serious business we're involved in. And so you need to convey this to people. You need to make it crystal clear. Paul said it. The time is coming when God will judge the world. And so we need to be ready for this. Understand that this is the perspective of God. Now, there are a lot of people who feel remorse from sin, but we want more than remorse. We want repentance. We want people who recognize that they have to change their life. They have to live in a different way. Look, if you would, at 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, which says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Worldly sorrow brings death. It's empty. But repentance, true repentance, brings life everlasting. And so principle number seven is this. Effective evangelism leaves the results in the hands of God. Let me say that again. Effective evangelism leaves the result in the hands of God. You are not the Savior. You understand that? You are the messenger. Somehow, some way, God has determined that he wants this message spread by human beings. Not angels, but regular old human beings. And in our case, I emphasize the word old. The point of this is clear. This is your role. This is what God has left us to do. And so you're not responsible for the results. And so when you give the message of hope, if somebody doesn't change it and change their lives, I don't want you to go and you know, destroy yourself uh, because that's not your fault. If you gave the message, then it's up to God and it's up to people. Uh, and so God will hold us responsible for proclaiming the truth and being faithful. But absolutely everything else is up to him. Uh, and you see that with Paul. The results at Mars Hill was decidedly mixed. He didn't have a large number of people coming forward. In fact, we don't ever have uh, any indication that a church was established there. But we know that there were a few people that came to truth, came to light, that became saved. 
And so here's the thing. If he calls you to do something and only one person is saved, then you've accomplished what he set out to do. All right? You're not Billy Graham. All right? You're not Billy Graham. But be yourself, walking in your own shoes to do what God has called you to do. Be ready to interact with people that are not part of what we do. We are not judging based on numbers. Look, we don't act based on numbers. We don't take account here and say, oh, I wish we had 500 people. We'll have church here even if there's only 25 people. I want you to understand that because that's what God has called us to do, to serve those who are looking. And so here's the thing. We must be completely dependent on God. If you want to be a successful evangelist, put yourself down before God as an offering and say, Lord, I'm walking with you. I will do what you want. Help me, Lord. Let me speak even when I'm uncomfortable. Give me opportunities. Bring people in front of me that need to hear this God and then strengthen me and give me courage to reach them in every way. And so you can easily do this. You meet a stranger and you say, come to church. Or how about this? We have multiple Bible studies. Now, come to this Bible studies. The men's group is going uh, to look at a number of car exhibits. Come. You see, these are non-threatening opportunities. You know, people in the world will be glad to go see some cars. All right? And then here's the thing. They look at how you act. They look at how you speak. Do you represent Christ? Hopefully, they'll see something different in you than they see in the world. And they will be drawn. I have told you over and over again, I have been more affected in my life by the sermon of people's lives than by their language. Because some ways it's very easy to spout language. But when I look at your life, your life is a veritable sermon. And so we look at John 6, verse 44, as I close this message. And there, Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. No one, no one will come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. We do our part. We walk with him. We pray with him. We say what he wants to say, and then he does the rest. Amen, church? Let's close in prayer. Lord, I thank you for this message. Lord, I thank you for the insights that you're giving us about evangelism. Lord, I pray that this is burnished in our hearts and that all of us leave here today with a commitment to go out into the world and speak to a lost world. Put people in front of us who desperately need to hear it. And Lord, give us the courage to speak out, to step up, and to let them know how critical it is that they walk with you. Strengthen our people. Give them grace, Lord, to walk with you. And now, Father, be with us as we are about to celebrate the most sacred sacrament that we can do, the Lord's Supper. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. Amen. And so now we're going to celebrate communion. There is no greater act, no greater act that we can do as Christians than to celebrate communion. It is the very thing that Jesus commanded us to do and binds us with the Lord Jesus Christ. It merges our heart and mind in devotion to Christ Jesus. Uh, and no other experience really uh, is as vital as this experience in walking with Christ. And so if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I welcome you to be a part of this 
communion service. All right, this is for Christians. And so if you are a Christian, you have done this, uh, we invite you to participate with us. This ordinance is for believers. And so each person bears responsibility, you see, uh, before God as we take communion. Uh, And Paul said this well in Corinthians 11, verse 28, where he said, let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the, the bread and drink of the wine. Let a man examine himself. That's what this is about. This is about self-examination. As we bow before God and say, God, look at my heart. I know that I've done things that, I'm, that I wish I hadn't, but I ask you, Lord, to examine myself, and I repent of what I have said. I repent of what I have done. I will not do this again, Lord. You will walk with me. Uh, and so Jesus said that Lord's Supper is not optional for believers. Not optional. So if you sit here and say, oh, I'm not worthy. Well, nobody's worthy. Oh, I've done some bad things. Well, we've all done some bad things. But the point is, as you approach communion, you ask God to wash you, to wash you, and to help make you righteous through Jesus Christ. That's what this is all about. And so when we take communion, let's look at the words that Paul used to describe this experience in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. And I want you to understand something. He wasn't there at the communion table, but the Lord revealed it to him through the Holy Spirit. And so here, I want you to imagine that you're with Jesus with the 12 apostles. You're there. You're celebrating Passover, but it will be the last Passover celebration ever authorized by God in the history of the world. The last one. Because that Passover was predicated on animal sacrifice, you see. And so God understood that no amount of animal blood would ever truly make us righteous. And so once and for all, God himself would be put on a cross. And as he's being put on the cross, that act That act, that shed blood would make us righteous forever as we called on his name. And look what he said in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. Now let's understand something. Nobody's worthy. So that word worthy really is probably mistranslated. It means your mindset. Do you have a proper mindset and a heart set of what Christ did? Because if you understand what Christ did for you that day, that he gave his life for you individually, 
personally. He had your name on his palm as, as he was hung up on that cross. If you understand that, then you are worthy to take this. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice from all time. Only God himself in absolute perfection could go to the cross and save us. He would celebrate the Passover for the last time that day. But every time he commended us to do this in remembrance of me, we are celebrating him. We are reliving what he did. We are, we are graciously bowing before his throne. We raise him up and thank him. And we are giving testimony to a lost world about who we are. And this world needs to see it. This world needs to see people who are committed to take communion with a heartfelt connection to God the Father. That's what we're doing today. And so we come to an understanding of what Christ said. And so there comes my favorite verse in the Bible. The verse I wrote down underneath where the pulpit will be. John 14, verse 6. A verse I say at every funeral that I do. This is what Jesus would say. That no man cometh to the Father except through me. No man. I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's the message to the world. No man cometh to the Father except for me. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, I thank you for the sacrifice. I thank you for what you've done, Lord. And now as we bow, we ask you, Jesus, I ask you, Jesus, to be with us as we celebrate what you did for us 2,000 years ago. If you would take out the communion cups, take out the top where, where the wafer is, and take the wafer out. Raise it up as we raise it together and we'll all eat it together. Jesus said, take and eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And now take the communion cup and raise it. In the same manner, take up the cup of juice. This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Take and drink. And that's our responsibility as Christians. Let's close the service, the communion service, and then I'll turn it over to Linda and the choir will sing. Lord, I thank you for your sacrifice. I thank you for the words that you've given us. Lord, I ask you that, that we continue to consider all day long and for the rest of this week what you did for us. This is not just a five-minute exercise. That's why we don't do it every week, Lord, but we bow to you, understanding the seriousness of this. We ask you, Father, to anoint our people. So let them feel the power of your presence, the presence of the Holy Spirit as you touch them. And as we repent and ask for forgiveness. And as we do that, Lord, I know you see us through the filtering lens of Jesus Christ as holy. We thank you for this. We thank you, Jesus, for all you've done. We ask all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.